Well, this morning, we are going to continue on in the book of John. We already covered a portion of this, so we're going to be in John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is where we are at. How many of you have ever watched, um, well, obviously, we, we watched the, uh, I watched the Ohio State game. How many of you have watched somebody that just seems to have an amazing talent? And you go, man, I wish I could do that. You look at him and say, man, I wish, I wish I could do. And, you know, I, I have, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I have a little musical talent. Not a ton, not a ton. Um, and I've watched people play the guitar, and I'm like, man, I'd love to, love to learn how to play the guitar. And so I got a, my parents bought me a guitar for Christmas. I got some lessons on how to play a guitar. Can I tell you something about learning how to play a guitar? It's a lot of work. It's hard. It's hard. You know, I, I, I took piano lessons as a kid. I can still uh, read music. I can still, I, don't, I might not remember all the notes, but I know what key it is. Uh, and really, and so I, uh, I, I got to tell you something about playing the piano. It takes a whole lot of practice. Did, did you ever notice that? I don't, does, how many of you play a musical instrument in here? Anybody play? We, see, look, look at how many people we got play. Okay, so you guys, John and LaShawn, did you write that down? We, we got some opportunities for you on the worship team. If you play the drums, the keyboard, we got, uh, listen, how many of you know that it takes practice? Even those that are, are naturally gifted at singing, it takes practice to get good at singing. There's, a, there's an author, one of my, my favorite authors, Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote a book called Outliers. And uh, in his book, Outliers, he details a number of people that we see as amazingly successful. And uh, we, we, he looks at them, and so some people think, wow, they're just, they're just naturally gifted. Like, he, he talks about Bill Gates. I just read an article about Bill Gates uh, this morning. Bill Gates has been the richest man in the world forever, and he was just passed by uh, Jeff uh, Bezos, who's the founder of uh, Google. Google's, um, yeah, Google's uh, stock shot up just a ton. And so he, he passed him by $2 billion. Like, okay, well... I guess you win. But it talks about, in, in Outliers, uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about Bill Gates. Talks about, we, we think of Bill Gates as just being uh, amazingly technically gifted and proficient and just profoundly uh, just a geek, right? We think, we think of him that way. You know what my, many of us don't realize is that in the early days of the computer industry, Bill Gates grew up just down the street from one of the few colleges that had a punch press, not a punch, had a, had, a, had a punch card operated computer. And so in the early days of computers, Bill Gates wasn't out at the park playing. He wasn't out running around with girls. He wasn't out doing all the things that teenage kids normally do. You know what he was out doing? He was learning how to program computers because it was just down the street from his house. And so he spent hours and hours and hours learning how to program a computer. Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about these people that seem to be naturally proficient or naturally gifted at doing something, and he's found out a principle, found a principle that somebody has to spend at least 10,000 hours doing something to become an expert. Now, here's, here's a great thing I actually picked up as I was reading about Michael Jordan. Because you might know, how many of you, anybody uh, like a Michael Jordan fan? Okay, all right. I, I don't like basketball. Uh, I do like Michael Jordan because he was popular when I was a kid. But Michael Jordan was renowned as being, um, he's obviously very physically talented, very gifted. But uh, he's also known as being one of the hardest working guys on the team. First one to the gym, 
last one to leave practice. Always there, every day, working hard. But here's one of the things Michael Jordan said specifically about the 10,000 hours thing. He said, you could spend 10,000 hours practicing the wrong technique, and it won't matter that you've practiced 10,000 hours. And so, really, as we're looking at things, becoming proficient and good at something isn't, isn't really a lot to do with luck. It isn't about natural talent. A lot of it's about hard work. Have you ever heard that said? You know, it seems the harder I work, the luckier I get. And a lot of our life is like that. We're working hard, but are we working hard at the right thing? Are we working hard for the thing that God has called us to do? Or are we just kind of drifting along, seeing what happens? You know, a lot of Christians kind of wonder why they don't find more victory in their life. They haven't done anything different. They, you know, they, they, every, every day, maybe they, they'll spend their five minutes of prayer. They'll spend their five minutes reading their Bible. They'll come to church, you know, just like regular Christians, you know, twice a month. They give God a dollar every week. And all of a sudden, we find we're not finding the victory we're looking for. And we start wondering why. The story in John chapter 3, I think, is a beautiful illustration of some of these principles. Now, we talked about it briefly already a couple weeks ago. But in John chapter 3, we're introduced to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And so let me read this this section of, of Scripture to you. It says, Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Verily I I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now that shocked shocked Nicodemus because he doesn't understand that. He goes, How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter enter their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Verily I truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can it be, Nicodemus said. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. But you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe it if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so, this is the most famous verse in the Bible, we all know this one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. 
Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone does. Everyone that does evil uh, hates the light and will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into light so that it may be plainly seen what they have done done in the sight of God. So here's Nicodemus. Nicodemus has come. Let's go ahead and put the picture up of Nicodemus there. Nicodemus has come asking Jesus questions. Now, Nicodemus is not a new Pharisee. Do you know how we know Nicodemus is not a new Pharisee? Because Nicodemus is on the ruling council. So Nicodemus has been around for a while. And it is easy, as we've been around for a while, to get solidified in our knowledge. Because we know what we know, right? We know how to do it. It's hard to tell us otherwise, right? right? This, this, there is one certain, as, as Bennett, I love my son. But I'm fearful that he's, well, he's either going to be a dictator of a small country or an amazing leader. Because he will tell you when you are doing something wrong very quickly. And he employs lots of other people to do his work. Like, he's like, here, do this real quick. Do this real quick. He's like, no, you need to do this. And so when, I, when we put him to bed, Heather normally puts him to bed, but he loves for us to lay in bed with him and read him a story and all this. And here's the thing I found out. I don't know how to read the stories the right way. Because he goes, no, that's not how we do it. That's not. And so Bennett is already at four years old. There's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. But here's Nicodemus. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus as an older Pharisee on the ruling council and saying, how do we do this? Obviously, you're from God. That's what he says to, to Jesus. Obviously, you're from God. That's the only way you can be doing these miracles. And so Jesus said, you have to be born again. And in 3, 4, what's he say? He says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. You know, as we get older, what do we get? We get more set in our ways. We get more rigid. We get more locked into a certain way to do things. And this isn't necessarily chronological age. Because Bennett's four. And he tells me which book should be read in what order, what pictures we should. And there's times, there's times we'll be reading, he goes, please don't say that. Wow. Okay, because I wasn't doing it right. Because he's locked into his way. And it would have been easy for Nicodemus to get locked in his way. You know, we've got a nor'easter coming up this way, right? It's supposed to hit off the coast tonight uh, at some point. When I lived in Virginia... We had nor'easters that would come through there. We, how many of you remember uh, Sandy when it came through those, those years ago? I, I wonder about all these hurricanes. You ever notice that at the end of a hurricane, there's houses that are gone, trees that have been snapped, and you've got all of these palm trees that are doing okay. Now, a palm tree will snap uh, in extremely strong winds, but they've got some unique qualities about them that help them to not snap in the high winds. And one of the biggest things that they have going for them is the flexibility of their trunk. If the trunk wasn't as flexible as it is, guess what? These trees would snap. Because those, those palm fronds, man, they're just like giant sails on top of that. But here's the thing. Nicodemus shows us, just like the palm trees, that flexibility helps as we move through life because when we become rigid 
we oftentimes resist change or we break. And when we get rigid, rigidity prevents God from molding us as he desires. Rigidity makes it hard for God to mold us. That's, I mean, it's just a fact of life, isn't it? And it doesn't matter how old you are. You grew up in a church tradition. You could, have been, you could have been in a church tradition for 15 years by the time you're 15. And there's only one way to do it. There's only a right way, a wrong way. There's my way and then the wrong way, right? That's how a lot of us look at it. But if God's going to shape us, if God's going to mold us, we really need to approach it with the same attitude as Nicodemus. Nicodemus did not understand. But what did he do? He kept asking questions. How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter the second time into the mother's womb. And so Jesus talks about being born of the Spirit. And what does Nicodemus say? How can this be? You know, sometimes we're afraid to ask questions because we're afraid to look dumb. And so we just sit there in our ignorance going, well, I'm sure I'll figure it out at some point. What did Nicodemus do? He asked questions. Our pride oftentimes stops us from asking questions. We get set in our head. This is how it needs to be. This is how it's going to work. This is what my life's calling is, and therefore this is the only acceptable thing for me to do. How many of you remember the story of uh, Abraham in Genesis 22? God had called him to sacrifice his son on the altar. The son that he and his wife had prayed for for years. The son that they had laughed about when they found out she was going to have a child because of how old she was. What Isaac means, laughter. The son that was the most precious thing in Abraham's world. God said, now you're going to sacrifice your son to me. Abraham's whole life for years had been wrapped up in getting a son and then keeping that son. As you know, Heather and I have adopted Bennett, uh, and when we, when we adopted Bennett, we were in Hot Springs, Arkansas for just a little over two weeks. Um, Arkansas, the, the biological mother, has up to 10 days after the paperwork is signed to change her mind. And so we weren't, we, we had, we had uh, temporary custody for the first 10 days because um, she had the right to change her mind. And we weren't allowed to leave the state. So we stayed at Compact where we have a, we have a board out there from where our last missions team went to Compact. Um, we spent there, we, we were there for 16 days. Waiting. Waiting for the final custody order and waiting for that 10 days to expire. And I just have to be 100% honest with you. I didn't do well in that 10 days. I didn't sleep good. I didn't, um, I, I, was, I was a little short and testy. I, don't, I, I, I do pretty good most of the time. But Bennett had become so precious to me in such a short period of time. Every time I heard the elevator, because we were on the third floor of the, the uh, facility, every time I heard the elevator, 
I had images that they were coming to take him away from me. Because he had become just that quickly my most precious thing. Now, there is no question. One of the, I, I love that one of the comments about me and my, uh, me is the comments the church made is that I love my family. Because I really, really do. I, lo- I love my family. And Bennett had so quickly become the fulfillment of God's dream. I think if I was in Abraham's position, if God had asked me to sacrifice Bennett, I'm not sure I'd be a pastor today. I'm not sure I would be serving God. But Abraham didn't hesitate. And obviously God spared Isaac. But God was testing uh, Abraham's commitment by measuring his willingness to sacrifice what was most important to him. God tested Abraham with his most precious son. Depending on your Bible, we'll do a little quick poll here. In John 3, 15, how many of you have quotation marks at the end of that? Or if you have red letter Bible, how many of you the red letters end at verse 15? Do we have anybody in here? That, how many of you the red letters continue to verse 21? This is one of the areas of Scripture where there's a debate whether John is conveying the words of Jesus or whether these are words that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, the break at 15 and 16. Personally, as I've read in my evaluation, I believe that John 3, 16 through 21 is Jesus still speaking to Nicodemus. We don't hear Nicodemus mentioned again until later on in Jesus' life where he speaks up a little bit for Jesus at his trial. But what we see here is a break. But I, I think the reason that John 3.16 is still Jesus speaking is because of the story of Abraham. Because Jesus is explaining to Abraham what God did. John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God tested Abraham's commitment by asking him to sacrifice his son. God demonstrated how deeply he desired to be with us by giving us his son. God mirrored that experience of Abraham. And with Nicodemus being a Pharisee, he would have been very familiar with the story of Abraham and Isaac. That's why I believe Jesus is still speaking here. Because he tells Nicodemus that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Just as God asked Abraham to give his one and only son as a sign of commitment and sacrifice, God gave his one and only son because he desires to be with us so deeply that he gave 
his one and only son to be with us. And here's the thing, is that it did not just show us the character of God. It showed us an example for our own lives. Jesus was God's most precious son. For those of you that have children, you understand what I'm saying. And those of you that have dearly loved ones, you understand what I'm saying. The sacrifice of a loved one. He put it in terms that they would have understood at that time. But see, it doesn't just reflect the character of God in that he gave his son because he loved, but he gave an example for us to follow. He gave an example for us to follow. Gave up his most precious son as an example. Wow. Keep that in mind as we look at Matthew chapter 16. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Anyone, let's see what is who wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Boy, how countercultural is that today? To tell myself, no, you can't have that. No, you can't do that. What Paul say? Paul said is everything's, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. We in the world today, we live as everything's permissible and everything's beneficial. We're going to do what we want to do, and don't you tell me not to do it. And you're right. It's not my job to tell you not to do it. It's your job to tell you not to do it. Matthew 16, what's it say? You must deny yourself. You must give up what you think is most precious to you so that you can show your commitment to Christ. Just as God showed his commitment to us by giving up his son, just as he's asked that same thing of Abraham, he said, deny yourself. But it doesn't happen automatically, does it? What's it do? It takes effort. It's hard. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says, Do you not know that all in a race are that all in the race are runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It doesn't happen automatically. It takes effort. It requires us to deny ourselves. But here's the beautiful thing, is that God showed us the example of what it looks like to deny myself. Mountain Gladwell has a, a great quote in his book about practice. Let's throw that up real quick. It, it, he says, practice is not what you do when you get good. It's the thing that you do that makes you good. 
The Christian life is one of sacrifice. It's a life of sacrifice where we deny ourselves. I heard of a pastor recently uh, in Florida, well-known church down there. He, uh, their church is known for giving millions of dollars a year to missions. It's a big church. Um, and he just shared a report that he has paid off his house. Shared to the church that he paid off his house. Shared that he was very excited about it because they shifted all that money to missions. It would be easy for them to shift that money into retirement, to shift that money into making sure that they were living well. But they shifted all that money into missions. Why? Because they're they're doing it for the glory of God. Doing it for the glory of God. We must deny ourselves. And God did it before we do. Why? He did it to show us how he's calling us to live. Oftentimes we read, we, we read the word of God and we, we just look at the instructive parts, right? We look where, God, you know, Paul says this, Paul says that. We look at, and that's one of the challenges actually for being Pentecostal churches. Those that grew up in non-Pentecostal tra- uh, traditions, um, a lot of those that refute the Pentecostal experience, they take the teachings of Paul because Paul is very didactic. He's very clear, in his instructions. But a lot of the experience of the Holy Spirit comes, uh, comes from what? Call, comes from John and Acts, right? Comes, comes from those two, two books. Or Luke, I'm not Luke, Acts. Luke and Acts. And Luke doesn't write uh, lesson plans. Luke tells stories. And here's the thing. The stories in the Word of God are for the purpose of us learning an example. So it would be easy for us to read through John 3, 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one son. We can say this is the picture of God's love that he gave his only son. But we're called to live like Christ, to be Christ-like. And since Christ, since Jesus Christ is God, really John 3, 16 could say, For God so loved the world that he gave himself. What an example that we are to give our most precious possession, which is ourself, wholly and completely. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice. And it's hard work, isn't it? And it's hard to deny yourself, to tell yourself that, no, you can't do that. Because you know who the best person at arguing with you is? You. Man, I could beat myself in an argument. And I lose all the time, too. Man, it takes effort, doesn't it? We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights, the difference between trying and training. Paul didn't say, I try. What did he say? I train. I beat my body. I make it my slave. You know, and the fact of the matter is this. We're going to fail over and over and over again. We're going to fail over and over again. John 3, 17 and 18, what does it say? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Listen, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. But God forgives us. He shows us an example. He asks us to follow it and then helps us to follow it. You know, Michael Jordan, we talked about him just a moment ago. He's got a great quote. He says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost, 20, almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. And I have failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. You're going to try to live the Christ-like example. We're going to train to live a Christ-like life. And you're going to fail. I'm going to fail. That doesn't mean we stop trying. It doesn't mean we quit. It means we train differently. Which means we have to remain flexible. Like that palm tree. We have to remain flexible like Nicodemus. Coming before Jesus and saying, I don't understand. I don't get it. Maybe you've had that moment. God, I don't understand. Maybe the question we need to be asking God is, what do I need to do different? We will fail in the process. But the point is to move deeper into our relationship with Jesus. So maybe the question we need to ask ourselves is this. The question we might need to be asking ourselves is, what can we deny ourselves of so that we can move closer to Jesus? What can we deny ourselves of to make space for Jesus? He's called us to a life of sacrifice. He's called us to a life of always seeking him. And it becomes so easy to become set in how we do it. But what do we see there in John 3? We see a Pharisee that came. And we don't hear of Nicodemus again until later on in, in the story of Jesus where he's at the trial with the Pharisees and Nicodemus speaks up for Jesus. He says, is this how we do this? You know he was the minority voice, don't you? But he came seeking God. God loved us so much, he gave everything up for us. How much more should we be motivated to give up those things that prevent us from drawing close to him. He's called us deeper and deeper still. I deny myself. I take up my cross. I beat my body. I make it my slave. These aren't things that happen automatically, are they? We have to do it on purpose. And so let me encourage you this morning. 
Perhaps you feel forever away from God. Perhaps you don't. The question is, are you growing in your relationship with God? Perfection is unattainable, and it's never the expectation. Pursuit of what God has called us to, that is his desire for us. Amen? Let me pray for you this morning.